Well, good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? Y'all doing all right? Hey, happy, uh, I guess, spring break for those of you who are on spring break. Hopefully that you guys have a really great week this week. Uh, Jesus once said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That Our God is a God who desires to give us rest. And so hopefully you'll get some time to rest. My hope is, is that even when you, when you take vacations or when you take vacations, even if you're not, a wonderful place to find rest is always finding rest in Jesus Christ, even when we, we, uh, we, we vacate from here. But that's another message for another time for this morning. Um, for those of you who uh, grew up going to church, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in like a Sunday school or a small group where the teacher or the leader asked the question, hey, you know what, if you could go back in time and hang out with somebody from history, uh, who would it be and what would you have that conversation? You know, um, and maybe you, you've had the experience like me where the person right before you, you know, raises their hand and they go, uh, Jesus, and like you're next and you're kind of like going, well, I guess I have to say Jesus because if I don't say Jesus, and that sounds a little shallow, and then, you know, maybe, maybe I justify it. Well, of course we all know Jesus. But besides Jesus, this is what I would say. It's almost like a given, right? If I could go back in time, I think we really kind of thought about it. I think we would probably would like go, it would be really nice to sit down and have, have some lunch with the Son of God, the creator of all things. It'd be kind of nice to be able to hang out with for an hour or so with the God who became flesh. Uh, maybe you have um, in your life at one time or another thought, you know what? It would be a really cool experience to go back 2,000 years ago and just kind of linger on that hillside on the Sea of Galilee and hear Jesus uh, say those famous words in the, on the Sermon on the Mount or to be a fly on the wall of that, uh, that room on the, on, the, in the, uh, on the second floor in the upper room to hear Jesus kind of talk about the last things before he was going to be arrested and to be crucified. Uh, maybe you've even kind of thought about, you know what, I, if, if I could just hang out with Jesus, I mean, like hear him and see him with my own eyes, then I would be able just to, it would just really be a big faith booster. It would really help me to grow in my relationship with God and to really uh, have faith. Uh, if that's you, I'm the same way. Man, I've had all of those thoughts before. Man, it would be awesome to sit down and face-to-face -face with, with God Emmanuel uh, in the flesh right there for you know, a good hour or so. But there was a, you know, there's, there's, there's something that Jesus said that one time that I, was, I was reading it that I just sat there and I thought about it and I went, that's really, really Weird. Now, Jesus says a lot of weird things kind of when you first look at it. And, but he said something about how weird it would be. I mean, just kind of a weird thing and made me really kind of ponder. Because at first thought, when I read it, I kind of went, that's kind of hard to believe. So what is it that he said? Well, it's the words that Jesus said um, that he spoke um, at that last few hours with his, his followers in that upper room. And the one thing I would say before I even kind of get there is this. Uh, Any time in Scripture that you're reading through Scripture and you come along uh, where somebody wrote something or somebody said something and you know this is the last thing they said or wrote before they die, you should probably really listen to them. Because in those moments, basically what they're saying is this, hey, I'm out of here, so you better pay attention because I'm, almost, I'm gone. 
And this is what you need to know. That's why I love Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one of my favorite uh, writings in scripture because it's basically Moses' last big sermon speech to the people that he'd been with for 40 years. And basically he's saying to them, hey, you guys and you next generation, I've been here 40 years. You guys, you know, you've seen me, you've depended on me for the last 40 years or so, but here's the deal. I'm leaving. I'm done. So you need to understand these things because I'm gone. We see Paul did this as well. And he wrote a letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, basically saying, hey, I'm out of here. So Timothy, this is what you need to know because I'm gone. Peter does the same thing in 2 Peter. So when you come to those, those places in scripture where you know that like, this is it, you should like, oh man, I better pay attention. So when the son of God says, hey guys, I'm out of here, listen up. And so if we would kind of think about it, if, you know, if we were hanging out with Jesus for three years and, you know, and, and Jesus basically said, hey, these are the last things that I'm going to say to you, uh, we would probably pay attention. So if we ever had the idea, you know what, if I ever were to be able to talk to Jesus for about an hour or two, what would he say? Well, a lot of what we have in scripture would be very much what he would have said, especially those last few hours or so when he's telling his guys, guys, I'm out of here. Okay, so this is what you need to know. And he says some really powerful things. And, and all of the, the writings about Jesus' life, that we call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, talk about those last few hours with Jesus. But John gives us a big chunk of it. From John chapter 13 through 17, we get a big chunk of what Jesus said to his disciples for those last few hours. Man, I encourage you this week. Um, you got some time. Go down by the beach. If you're heading down to the beach, you got some time as well. You can push play and listen to it. Listen to those, those, those chapters right there and listen to what Jesus has to say to his disciples for the very last time. It's very powerful. But like I said, there's some powerful things in there. And then he said something that's kind of, kind of interesting, kind of weird in that. And it's found in John chapter 15. This is kind of what it says here, uh, the beginning here. But now Jesus said, this is Jesus talking, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me here, all right? I'm going to be with the Father who sent me here. And not one of you is asking me where I'm going. But instead, he goes on and he says, instead, you grieve, you're sad because what I've told you that I'm leaving, right? I mean, can you imagine that you were with Jesus for three years? I mean, he's like the man. You've heard things that just boggle your mind. You saw things that boggled your mind. And this is like, this is amazing. And now he's basically saying to you, guys, here's the deal. I'm out of here, all right? But then he says this, let me give you some encouragement. I want to encourage you guys and let me give you some great encouragement. And so here's Jesus's encouragement. But in fact, he goes on, it is best for you that I go away. Okay, wait a minute. Does that sound encouraging? Where Jesus basically says, hey guys, here's the deal. You know, this, I want to give you some amazing encouragement to you. If I can encourage you with one thing today, Jesus would say, this is it. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm exiting left. And you can sit there and you sit there and say, well, wait a minute. How in the world? It seems really weird that Jesus would say, the best thing for me or the best thing for you is for me to leave you. What? Seems a little weird. Well, he kind of gives us the reason for that and the why behind that. Well, he says this, he says, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. But if I do go away, 
then I will send him to you. So who's the advocate? Now, you remember, this is Jesus's, you know, last few hours with him. He's been teaching them some things. And this is, this is kind of somewhere in the middle of that conversation that he's having with him. But they would know who the advocate was because right just a few minutes before that, he tells them who this advocate is. It's found in John chapter 14. But a few minutes before that, he defines it here in John chapter 14. And he says this here. He says, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. In the, in the video that you heard, you heard a different kind of um, definition, the definition of counselor. Uh, some definitions that you may have read in the Bible, you may have read that the Holy Spirit, he will come, and I will, co- and, and I will call the comforter. It's kind of the name there. The illustration or the idea that, that those guys would have understood with Jesus talking about the word advocate was back in the first century. They would use this term, you know, it's the Greek term paraclete, which is where we get this word uh, advocate, to mean kind of, it, it literally means to be called alongside of, somebody who is there with you. And the idea behind it was the word, they, they used the word paraclete for a lawyer. So back in the ancient world, um, some people would have what they would have, a lawyer, a family lawyer. And they would have this family lawyer on retainer. And this family lawyer was basically somebody you would always call in the moment that you need some counsel. That's where you get the term counseling. So where you need some counsel, uh, you need some help dealing with some struggles with life, some guidance, and all of these things. So that's kind of the idea here that Jesus is saying that, hey, for the last three years, I've been your guide, your counselor, the person who's come alongside you. Uh, to give you insight and understanding of who God is, who you are, and what that means, and, and what I'm about to do, and why that has meaning to your relationship with God and to other people. But he says that if I go, I'm going to give you another person who's going to come alongside of you to be with you. How long? Forever. Okay, so Jesus basically says he's going to be with you forever. And so then he says, well, who this advocate is in the next Uh, verse here, go on to the next piece. He's the spirit of truth. So the advocate is the spirit. The advocate is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is basically saying, hey guys, it's, it's, it's best that I go. Because when I go, then another advocate, another counselor can come and he is the Holy Spirit who will be with you forever. Not only that, he goes on, he says, but the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you now, but in a little while, he is going to be in you. Amen. What does that mean? I want to give you a little bit of Jewish history here a little bit, to kind of help you to understand uh, some of these things. When God took this slave group, you know, this slave uh, people, which were these Hebrews. They were slaves. They had no government. They, had, they, had, they were just slaves. The only thing that they knew really for the longest time were some, some of the hints and some, some things that had been passed down to this God who had met their ancestor Abraham. But they were around basically a government system of Egypt, a religious system of, uh, of the Egyptians and of their gods. And so God... Uh, shows himself again, like he said he would to, you know, to Abraham, that he would take this people group, this slave group, this, this very raw people. And he took them out of Egypt. And then when he brought them in to become his kind of people, his special people, 
He gave them some things to be able to help them to understand who God is. And one of those powerful tools that he gave them to understand who God was was this thing called the tabernacle. This tabernacle is like this little, really kind of fancy tent. You had this kind of this outer tent piece, and then there's like this little, little sacred room inside that's called kind of the Holy of Holies. And so God told uh, the Hebrews to make this thing. And so they make this thing, and, and they set it all up. And when they set it up, the presence of God came into the tabernacle. And it said it was like a pillar of fire, just there. And it also says that Moses couldn't even go into the tabernacle. Why? Because God is absolutely 100% holy. And his full presence in, the, in that fire is there by which even Moses, as a sinful man before God, could not come into the tabernacle until the high priest would go and kill an animal to sacrifice for their sins and to be able to go into that tabernacle. That's where that tabernacle was kind of the idea for the, for the Hebrews was that's where the presence of God was. Now, is the presence of God stuck in a tent? Like, help me, I can't get out, I need to get out. No, no, no. It was, it was, it was a lesson. God is pointing them towards a, a reality, a heaven, heavenly reality of the holy of holies where our father is right now by which, you know, in, by ourselves, we cannot come into his presence because we are all sinners. We need a sacrifice. He's teaching them the same thing. And then a little bit later, they kind of went into this land. So they got a nice little piece of land. And David goes, man, God, I want to, I want to build you a temple. I want to build you a fixed place by which your presence would be, by which we would all come and we would worship you uh, at this place. And so he sets it up. Solomon has the thing built. And guess what happened when it was built? When the day that it was built, the presence of God came into that. The fire came down by which no high priest could go into that until there were sacrifices made for the people. All right. And even then, the high priest, whether it was in the tabernacle or in the temple, the high priest could only go into that place once a year to sacrifice not only for the sins of the people, but for his own sins, because even the high priest was not perfect. All right. So what does this all mean? All right. What this all means is this. All right. That Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, who is absolutely perfect, absolutely perfect, gave up his life. His life was sacrificed, not for his sin, because he never sinned. He sacrificed the perfect sacrifice for you and for me, for the forgiveness of our sins. And then... Okay, when Jesus rose from the dead, you know where Jesus is right now? Jesus is in the Holy of Holies as our high priest. Okay, with the heavenly father. And so in that moment, when, you know, our sins had been forgiven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, guess what, guys? You and I, we can go into the Holy of Holies because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He made the pathway to come into the Lord. Come to the Father, the Holy of Holies. So what does this mean? What does this mean? So we have the tabernacle, fire come down from heaven. They can't go in until there's a sacrifice. The uh, temple comes, fire comes down, the presence of God. They can't come in until there's sacrifice. Come in Jesus, perfect sacrifice uh, made by God. And then what we see 
You know, 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven, it says in Acts chapter 2 that tongues of fire go where? Into the believers of Jesus Christ. Those who accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ are now the place where the Holy of Holy dwells because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So the, the imagery there that was there on that day of Pentecost was the, was the fire that came down, not into a building, not into a temple, not into, you know, this place of the, you know, but into believers of Jesus Christ because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why we, now we can come into the presence of God and by which, why? The presence of God can be indwelled because of us. Not because of any of us have been, are holy, by which we can go into the Holy of Holies. It's because Jesus Christ died and sacrificed for us, by which through his sacrifice, we can now come into the Holy of Holies. And not only that, but the Spirit of God indwell within us. The presence of God. And that is important because when we talk about, when we think about what is the role of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has lots of different roles and things that he accomplishes in our lives. And usually the things that we tend to think of the most, because it's, it's a lot more of the wow factor, is the wow factor of, you know, uh, prophecies, speaking in tongues, the miracles, all of these things. All of those things are, are the wow factor of the Holy Spirit. But the most important job that the Holy Spirit has been given is to be the presence of God in our life. Because Jesus says this, right? And the next thing that he says this to them, he said, this is why you, shouldn't be, you should be encouraged because I will not leave you as orphans. You are not alone. I will send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be dwelled within you so that way you will always know that you are not alone. Now think about it this way. If Jesus didn't ascend to heaven and get the Holy Spirit, say Jesus just kept on living forever. But here's the problem with that in his physical flesh. The problem with that with you and I would be like, okay, well, the only way we would be able to hang out with God is if we go to Jerusalem and there's like a gazillion people. I don't think I've ever going to be able to see it. Maybe I might be able to see Jesus somewhere out there, kind of like when people kind of gather around the Pope and that would probably be like times a gazillion, right? If it was Jesus. So instead of, you know, having to go get on a plane, go to Jerusalem, maybe perhaps be able to see Jesus or, or be in a nice little receiving line, <laughs> shake hand and I move on and like, oh, that was lasted quick, but at least I got to shake his hand. Jesus is saying, no matter where you go, God is with you. Amen. God is with you. Not a lesser God. God himself. We don't have to get all googly God about going to a foreign place to maybe perhaps see Jesus in the distance. We can be so excited and rejoice that God is with us. God is in us. Now, why is this important? Like I said, if you ever think about priorities, what's the priority of the Holy Spirit? The, prior, the number one priority of the Holy Spirit is to help you to understand that you are present with the God who loves you. In fact, that's why I highly encourage you. I want you to go back. I want you to go and read 
John chapter 13 through 17. And you will see there, it's dripping with the love of God and understanding how much God loves you. And in turn with that, he says, man, how much I want you to go and love others. Because right at the beginning of John chapter 13, Jesus said, you know, he loved them. He loved them to the full extent, to the full end. And he gets down and he washes their, their feet. And then he tells them about what's happening, why this is going to happen. And then he tells them about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be with you forever. He's, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. You are going to understand. He says, abide in me and abide in my love. And then he's going to say things when you go through there and he's going to say, abide in my commands. What is his commands? He says right at the beginning when he has his guys with him, he says, this is a new command I give you. Love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. But he basically says this, you are not going to be able to love each other the way that I loved you unless you abide in my love and you are filled with my love. And what does it mean to be abide in Christ? It means to abide in the spirit of recognizing that you as a sinner, me as a sinner before God, are fully loved. Therefore, go do likewise and love the sinners in our lives the way Jesus Christ has loved us. But we cannot do that until we sit and just soak in the incredible love that God has for us. The Spirit is there to remind us of how much God loves us. Paul, who had been so changed by, by the grace of God multiple times, you know, early on in one of the first letters that he wrote to the people of Galatia, he said, you know what? You are given the spirit of God as sons and daughters of God who cries within you, Abba, Father. You are loved. Your father is with you. Years later, he writes another letter, but he basically says the same thing. So it must have been a pretty big key to his ministry. In his letter to Romans, he says the same thing. You are given the spirit and to cry within you, Abba, Father, that when we are to listen to the spirit, the spirit reminds us, it's okay, I'm with you. I love you. Let's do this. Trust me, follow me. I'll lead you into all truth. But before I lead you into all truth, you need to know that I love you. You can trust me. And so when you think about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you know, strengthens us by reminding us how much we are loved and convicts us to remain in his love. Let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about here. Later on, Paul wrote, writes this letter to the people of Ephesus, a bunch of Christians. And what you're going to see in this little passage here is you're going to see a guy who's really fired up. It's another little thing that I've always kind of, I've learned through the years of reading scripture is anytime Paul or somebody gets fired up, I slow down and I want to listen to why they get so fired up. Because there's, there are times when you read through Paul's letters and it's like a mind blowing moment. I mean, he's like, oh man, glory to praise to God. And there's a reason why he's doing it. He's not just doing it because, you know, he's just having a moment. He's doing it because there's something that, it, that the Spirit is just kind of reminding him and telling him that just that truth just goes like, it's a mind-blowing thing. And then every time when you see Paul says, hey, this is what I'm praying you for, you should stop and you should listen to that as well. Because if you ever think about what, what are some of the things that Paul would be praying for us about? Well, 
he shows us in his letters. When you get to those places, you should slow down. Well, this is one of those. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3, and this is what Paul says right here. He says, hey, when I think of all of this, and what he's talking about here is when I think about the amazing things that God has done. And in fact, at the very beginning of this letter, he talks about how God adopts us into this family, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise, right? As being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father, that I'm the Lord. He reminds me that I have eternal life because of the incredible grace of God. It's amazing. And then he talks about all about what God has done, this grace, incredible grace. It's not anything that we've done, but all of what he's done. And he's going through all of these things and he's going, man, when I think about all of this, when I think about it, especially, I bet he's probably, you know, in the context of my own life and my own experience, when I think about all the things that God has done, has taught us, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and in earth. And he says, this is what I pray. This is what I pray. He says, I pray, Ephesians, Christians everywhere. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he would empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Let me ask you guys, have you ever been in a place in your life where you go, man, it it would be really great to have some inner strength? Because right now I'm feeling really anxious. I'm feeling really insecure. I'm feeling really depressed. I'm feeling really weak. How many of you have ever been in a place in your life where you go, man, I need some power in my life? Every single one of us. And Paul says this, man, and even Paul, in his own experience, and with the people that he loves, I pray from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So the question then is, how does the Holy Spirit empower us with inner strength. I'll tell you, first of all, what he doesn't do, you know? First of all, it's not Holy Spirit, activate, activate. You know, it's kind of like Popeye eating some spinach, you know, go, 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 eat some spinach. And then all of a sudden, ah, I can deal with this now, you know? I'm strong in the spirit kind of deal. It's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, I think you'll be really shocked to find out what is it that you and I need that the spirit gives us that makes us strong, strong in no matter what's going on in our lives. Well, he tells us this right here. He goes on. Then, go ahead. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Power, inner strength. It's all about that relationship. The tie into our strength And the power in our lives is all tied into Jesus Christ having a space in my my heart by which I love him and I receive the love that he has given me. You know? Doesn't sound as sexy as like, no, I want the muscles. No, 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 no. Here's the deal. You know where our greatest weakness is, why we have weaknesses, where most of our weaknesses come from? It's relationship, right? You know, you think about, man, I got a lot of stress going on at work. And, you know, probably about 95% of your stress at work has nothing to do with your work. It's about worrying about what other people think about your work. It's relationships. At the key of it is relationship. 
we fail and we mess up. We feel horrible. Why? Because there's relationships that are connected to all of that. Our weaknesses are found in the brokenness of our uh, and insecure of our relationships with other people and with God. Paul says, man, when I think about everything that God has done for us, this is my prayer. My prayer is that, man, by, that God with all of his resources would empower you and strengthen you and your inner person through the power of the Holy Spirit by which is, is found with Christ in your heart. You are loved and that your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Where do you find strength? He says it right here. We find strength in our lives when we get our nourishment from the love of God. Every single one of us in this room are created to be loved and to love. Every single one of us. If you say you're not, then you just harden your heart because you just don't want to get hurt. But here's the deal. Our hurt and our brokenness or dissatisfaction is usually because we're putting roots into other people and other things. I need them to love me. I need them to love me. I need them to love me. And so, and then they're not loving me. And so I'm drying up. And so I feel rejected. I feel hurt. I feel broken. By which our God of the universe, who has inexhaustible riches of love for us, says, put your roots in me. And some of the times that I know for me is, is sometimes I will sit there and go, yeah, I know God loves me, but I need them to love me. And God says, no, that's not where your strength comes from. Your strength comes from receiving constantly, abiding in me through the Holy Spirit, reminding you that you're loved to remain in my love. Let your roots go deep in me. Let your roots go deep in my love. Because the moment that you unplug those roots and you put them into somebody else, they do not have inexhaustible riches of love for you. And you will dry up. But in me, you will be loved. That's why a guy who writes these things can get the snot beat out of him, be thrown into prison, and then save the jailer's life out of his love for the jailer. Why? Because his life and his need for love isn't based on what the Philippians think, what the authorities think, what the jailers think, or what they do to him. Because he's already good, because he's already decided that he's going to lay his roots down deep into Christ, by which it is a mind-blowing thing, by which Paul experiences love for all humanity, no matter what, how humanity treats him or rejects him, because his roots have gone down deep into God's love and to keep you strong. And that's why he says, man, when I think about all the things that God has done in my life, all the things that God wants to do in your life, I get down on my knees and I pray and I pray and I pray. And then he goes on, he says this, and he says, and... And may you have the power. Here we go. When Paul talks about power, this is the kind of the power that he's talking about. Man, and may you have the power to what? To understand. To understand what? What is it the power that we need to understand in order to have strength in our lives? It's right there. As all God's people should, even 2,000 years later, in Tulioda, Florida. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. Oftentimes we think God's love is shallow because we compare God to the shallow love that we give and we receive from other people. But God's love is inexhaustible. Man, Paul's saying, God, this is what I'm praying. I'm praying that through your spirit, that you would get it through their thick heads and their thick hearts, that they would know how much you love them. 
You love them very much. And he says, may you experience, he goes on, he says, uh, in the next verse here, may you experience the love of Christ. And Paul says, though it is too great to understand. How many of you guys have ever read Paul's letters and go, man, I don't even know what he's saying. So Paul's saying that this love is bigger than anything I can even speak of. It's greater than you can even understand fully. Then you will be made, here it is, complete. How are you made complete? You know how you're made complete? By through listening to the Holy Spirit. That God loves you. And that you lay your roots deep within that love that God has shown you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are made complete when we are loved well. And we remain in that love. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. How many of you guys would love to know and have and experience the fullness and the completeness and the power of God? All we would do. And guess what? It's not, ah, you know, and give me power. It is sitting there and going, Lord, remind me how much you love me. Don't need anything else in this world. I just need you to remind me of your love. When Jesus says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, in that same conversation, which is that same night that he had with his disciples that night, he also said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. He will lead you to the truth, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that truth is you are loved. You are loved by God. And the Holy Spirit, if we listen to him, will continue to remind us of that reality. Now, all glory to God, he says. Now, this is the mind-blowing moment. I mean, this is like when Paul goes, oh, it's so mind-blowing. We all talk about being tough. It's just amazing just sitting there and allowing God to, to speak to our hearts and say, you are loved. And to recognize that my strength is found in the reality that I am loved by the God of the universe who will love me forever. That he indwells me through his spirit forever that forever I will always hear, I love you from my Abba, from my Father, through the Spirit, through the Son, through the triune God. Now glory, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Let me tell you, oftentimes this verse is, is spoken a lot in different ways. God, I need a new job. Well, this verse is going to show me that God's going to give me an even better job because he's going to do more than I'm going to imagine or I can ask. But God, you know what? I, he's going to give me a, 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 a new mate, a better mate. And it's going to be better than ever because this is what the scripture says. It's not what he's saying at all. You know, we, we pray for all the things of this world, but usually, you know what God is doing in your life? There's really only two things that God's doing in your life. Cliff, cliff notes, life cliff notes. God, what are you doing? Number one, getting our attention to draw closer to him. So even in those moments of pain, you know, God, heal me. Oh, good, you're talking to me. How many of you guys have known somebody or been there somewhere where you've gone through something hard and you said, I don't wish that upon anybody, but that's the best thing that's ever happened to me because it brought me into the presence of God. To him who does more than I could ever imagine or ask. I asked for this, he gave me his heart. It's amazing. You know, 
What he's saying is, is that God gives us so much more than we as human beings could ever ask because he gives us himself. He gives us his love. So glory to him, he goes on. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's what Paul prays for you. Jesus in his high priestly prayer, and we'll talk more about this next week, at the end of his time with his disciples, he was telling them, you know, Father, I pray that just as I am in you and you are in me, that they would be in us, that we'd be unified, that unity of that bond of love. It's interesting where, where Jesus says, um, you know, in that, he said, you know, May they be in us as we are in them, that the world may know that you sent me. You know what the greatest miracle, you know what the greatest miracle of the Holy Spirit is in your life, in our lives? It's two of them, really. And it goes right into God's greatest commandments. Number one miracle is the miracle by which he lights up your heart with his love. And you're like, that's amazing. I feel whole and I feel complete and I feel loved. Thank you. You know what the other miracle is? And we'll talk about this next week that we see it in Jesus' words. That we would be unified together in that same love. That's mind-blowing to the world. These people actually like each other. They love each other. Well, it's because they're all listening to the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit and just giving the love that the Spirit has given to them. May they be one as we are one that the world may know that you sent me because God, your spirit is working in their hearts. A miracle that changes their orientation towards you and towards one another. During this time, during the service, what we do is we take some time and, and um, you can do um, kind of you know, whatever you want. This is your time with the Lord. And so this isn't something, we don't do rules and rituals, but we do give opportunities and and some of those opportunities is we're going to have some of our elders and wives over here at the cross by which just to pray. Maybe there's things that are going on in your life. Maybe you just need another person to, to pray alongside of you to remind you that, that God loves you and whatever's going on in your life, he's working it. It may be hard and difficult, but he's, he's working it. And, and we're here as a church body and God is there in your life to walk this journey with you and you're not alone. And on the sides there, we have communion. It's a beautiful time just to be able to sit there and say, thank you, Jesus, for going away. (laughs) Just kidding. That's funny. But anyways, to be able to take communion and um, say, thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. And that through your sacrifice, as you stand in the Holy of Holies before the Father at this moment, you've not left us alone as orphans. You've given us your spirit. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. And also in the back, you'll see those baskets as well. Those are just offerings. Time of offering is really just a continued time of, of, of worship, really. Because really, God calls us to tithes and offerings kind of for two reasons. Number one, to build that trust muscle with God. And number two, is that us as a church family, that we would use it to be a light to our community. And we'll talk a little bit more about how you can uh, play along with that a little bit as well. So let me pray. Do that, and then we'll end our time in worship. Father, thank you so much. 
that you have not left us alone as orphans, that your spirit is in us. Father, I pray for anybody in here who has not accepted the gift of eternal life and accepted the sacrifice, and by which through the sacrifice we are made holy, by which then you indwell. And so, Father, I pray for that person that at this moment, that if this is where they're stirring their heart, that they would come and talk to one of the people right up here to pray for, with our elders or just right where they're at. They don't need to do any of that. They can just sit right where they're at and just say, Lord, I accept the sacrifice that you've given us, so indwell me, holy God, within me, and give me the gift of salvation. So, Father, through this, I pray that your spirit would just continue to move in our hearts. So whatever you want to speak to us individually or collectively, it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.